Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we'll be diving into Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, part two. Yes, chapters 30 through 49. (laughs) (laughs) I realized out of the last episode, we didn't actually say which chapters we were going over, but I put it in the description, so. Oh, yeah. That'll make it easy. Hopefully people can figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) But we are also joined with our very special guest, Chelsea Arnold. Hi. Welcome back. Hi, everybody. We said we were going to record this all in one sitting last time, but we did not. We recorded one. (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly my fault. I have children. They tend to need me, you know, so long stretches of time make them crazy. So, Children are historically needy, so. Yes, that's very true. You can understand. (laughs) Uh, yes, in a way, it was kind of nice to have a little bit of a break from Laura Palmer and all of her trauma, but also I kind of like, I'm one of those people who likes to get everything out of the way, especially if it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, difficult. So yeah, I'm glad we're getting back to it. <laughs> yes, it's not been that long. It's only been like a couple of days anyways. So yeah. the trauma is yes. still fresh in our minds. Yeah, it's actually Laura Dern's birthday today. I, I saw, saw that. that. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> a lot of Laura's in our life right now. I know. I was realizing that we hadn't done our favorite what role would Laura Dern play in a long time. So, oh, my God. Um, yeah, we'll have to do that on our next check-in. <laughs> yeah, especially for Sanditon because that would be a fun one. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, before we started, was there any new thoughts you guys had about the diary from last time we recorded or? Um... Um, I would say probably the thoughts that I had about this book are a little different now than when I was reading it, especially in this part that we're about to go over. Because hmm. I just, uh, this part of the book, I to me, I felt was probably out of the three parts we're doing the most kind of repetitive and a little bit boring. Mm. Um, so it felt a little bit more difficult to kind of get through just because like stuff was happening, but in the first part we're getting like, it's like all new to us. And then at the end, you know, stuff picks up more. Yeah. Well, I don't have the book in front of me, obviously, but Mm -hmm. I imagine that all of most of these chapters are longer chapters because we're covering a lot less in this section than, um, Mm -hmm. we did in either of the other two sections. So I think they're just like a bunch of longer stories. So I wonder if that just makes the pace feel slower, you know? And because she's so drugged up in this section that she (laughs) literally is going back and forth to stuff. I was like looking at my notes so I could make sure I didn't have any big typos (laughs) like normal. And I was like, God, she's just so all over the place. Even my notes are just all over the place. But what can Mm. you do? (laughs) I will credit... Uh, Jennifer Lynch for her writing because it does feel like a coke addict is writing a like we're reading a coke addict's diary in a way so I definitely I I I do appreciate it I just uh, for me I just kind of got got lost probably because they're longer and I was like gosh have I missed a date and (laughs) and as I like went back a couple times I was like no she's just on one of her um her like little coke tirades so yeah. yes but we have to realize that almost from this point moving forward every moment of her life is a coke tirade yes <laughs> like she is, <laughs> she, is vi- constantly. she finds very little sobriety from here on out yeah right. there's a couple moments <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but of course but 
<laughs> 14 yeah. years old, we're starting. 14 years old. <laughs> that was mind-blowing to me. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like there's one, if there's one thing about Twin Peaks and Laura Palmer specifically is that Firewalk With Me and this book, I find it very easy to like get into her head and like feel like mm-hmm. I'm in her space, you know? Like when I'm watching Firewalk With Me, I feel like, oh, I'm sucked into this world and I'm like, I am Laura Palmer for a minute, you know? It's not like normally Twin Peaks, it feels more presentational and it's not like I'm viscerally feeling like I'm in the world of Twin Peaks Mm -hmm. so much as when it's a Laura Palmer part. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. Yeah, Yeah, because she's giving us more of an unfiltered, realistic depiction of her life in Twin Peaks and the show is very, very, uh, I would say neutered in a way. Yeah. Yeah, You really get into her like interiority or in... Mm -hmm interior life more than anyone else's like and I maybe that's and it's weird because I, I'm just now reading the diary but like I kind of always felt that way after well you haven't seen Firewalk with me but Mm-mm. it feels very much of a piece with the secret diary yeah 100% <laughs> it's like the whole series is about who killed Laura Palmer but every the book and Firewalk with me are about Laura herself like that's yeah. the story is her not what happened to her and not what, you know, but like her and everything that went on with her in her life. Yeah, where Twin Peaks is more about the people of the town and the overarching, like, evil in the woods type stuff. Right. <laughs> All right, well, should we go ahead and do the notes then? <laughs> yeah. All right, so notes for this episode. I felt like we should dive into more uh, on who Jennifer Lynch is and kind of get to know her a little bit since she wrote the book. Perfect. All right, so um, most of my stuff I got from Wikipedia, just as a little reference, but she was born on April 7th, 1968 to David and Peggy Lynch in uh, Philadelphia. She is an author, director, and screenwriter, so she wears many different hats. Yes. She made her directorial debut with the movie called Boxing Helena, um, mm. which I was reading a little bit about, and it has a very, uh, like, seems like a very troubled production. Yeah, I was, I was reading about that, too. I thought, I wonder if, like, me and Christian should watch this and just talk about it during a check-in, like, around Halloween or something, because it sounds really scary to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, cause I was reading a little bit about like, she has very like negative views about that time because I, if, I'm not sure if it was like stuff was out of her control or they did things without, and she was only, she was really young when she made it too. Mm-hmm. It was made in 93, so, you know, I think a lot was put on her as, especially as a young woman being the daughter of David Lynch. And it yeah. seems like she, you know, kind of, was thrown to the wolves a little bit with it. So yeah, we should definitely like look into it more and maybe do like a little like bonus episode or something on it. Cause it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, that she's, you know, part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <so> she's <laughs> very integral part of the universe now, <laughs> but apparently after she did boxing Helena, she kind of took a break from directing because of how like tumultuous it was. And she um, came back in 2008 with a movie called surveillance which won the top prize at the Sitges Film Festival. I think that's how you pronounce it. Oh. 
I've never even heard of that movie. Me neither. I think a lot of these are a little bit more um, indie and maybe a little bit more on the avant-garde side. I'm not completely sure. But she also directed a lot of TV around like 2012. She directed some episodes of Psych, Teen Wolf, Woo-hoo. The Walking Dead, <laughs> American Horror Story, Once Upon a Time, Hawaii Five-0, Elementary, The Strain, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and 911. So Agents of Shield. <laughs> I've probably seen a lot of those episodes. I'm that's exciting. Yeah, I was shocked because I just never thought about I never recognized her name back then, obviously, but now I'm like, I feel oh, like I a believe- lot of female directors who like directed stuff in the eighties and nineties who like had something that wasn't great maybe, but you know, kind of mm-hmm. in the way that women get pushed aside if they do one bad thing. Right. And they're all now like making a comeback in directing television. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're all really great. And they always get like a lot of acclaim for their television episodes. So yeah. <laughs> clearly it was like, you know, something happened, but outside of, you know, TV, television and film, she wrote, Secret Diary of Laura Palmer in 1990. And, you know, as we said in the first part, that it was a super major success when she wrote it. And, and I mean, you can clearly tell from the writing that it's very, very well done. Yeah. She was only 22, I think. Yeah. She was really young, which I I think really served writing yeah. something like a diary of a young girl. So, like, super well, just being so closely in age Laura. Yeah. Just some last things about her you know, her film career, she went to uh, Interlochen Arts Academy and made a brief appearance in Eraserhead, but apparently it was cut from the final film, which I thought yes, was interesting. I, I remember that. I remember that being a factoid for Eraserhead. <laughs> right. But she's um, like, come she was... on, Dad. This is the only part. What the hell? She must have been a, ki- a little kid. <laughs> yeah, she was, it was with her and it was her and her mom made an appearance, but it got cut. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, and then she was uh, the production assistant on Blue Velvet. So They weren't bleak enough for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't abstract and <laughs> depressive enough, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so she's, you know, started from a very young age and had a very long history. But um, that's about all I had for her. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started on the recap because we got a lot to cover. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so where we last left off, Laura was having her empowering ritual in the tree where she was had been taken by Bob. Okay, so, and that was her birthday. Which birthday? 15? 14. 14. 14. <laughs> so after her birthday, this is um, August 3rd, chapter 30. After her birthday, she spent the day with Troy, and she said she went home feeling very strong and new inside, and she was determined to stop being haunted and tortured by this man who all she knew was his first name. She says, there's no fun in torture if the victim is screaming for more. So that's her new philosophy. She says seeing Bobby Briggs is fun. She wanted more from him, but didn't want to give away that she knew more than she did. So she says she's not chosen it, but she's been given two very different lives. And, oh, and this is the scene where she makes love to Bobby for the first time. So they go to an abandoned barn, and 
she's like, she knew she had to be strong and not fall in love, at least not out loud. Because <laughs> she's, yeah. Very sad. <laughs> <laughs> right that, from the-, the 12-year-old girl she's protecting inside is allowed to love him, but that is it. Exactly. And that can never be told. <laughs> so Bobby's nervous. They drink some vodka and smoke some marijuana. And Laura is now feeling more reliant on alcohol and drugs to relax. So this is her first sexual experience with like affection, <laughs> you right. know, and like real control. So she tells him to build a dream inside of himself. And as this is all happening, she, like, remembers Bob for a second, and it brings her back to reality, and she forced the memory of her wanting this moment away because she was afraid it would make her weak. And so they spend hours making love, and Laura says she felt truly satisfied, and after years of imagining this with someone who cares about her, she still can't stop thinking about Bob. And... Bobby is whispering words of love and promised happiness and loyalty forever. And Laura is trying not to let herself listen to him. She says the Laura who loved him cannot come out to play. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The words of love are just too real, too innocent. And so she forced herself to do something cruel and she laughed at him, which is something we definitely learn about in the show from Bobby's perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. She's, says she la- laughed at him hard until his eyes lost their light. And she said she had to laugh at him to save herself. She says, why does it hurt so bad to protect herself? And she's ashamed and confused again. And she thinks she might have been tricked into hurting him, but she doesn't know what else to do. And she refuses to show remorse, though, because she doesn't want to give Bob a victory. So she says she has to find a way to not feel anything. She says, I'm lost, but a stronger, more manipulating Laura is rearing her head. And when she finds out who Bob is, she swears she will tell everyone. So that's a lot in that chapter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very telling of why Bobby the way, is the way he is. Yeah, I mean, you can really see this whole book is giving me a different perspective on Bobby, even though like by the end, I do like Bobby, but... From what we've seen so far in the series, Bobby is like not my favorite character because he's kind of a no. douche. But in this, you're like, okay, well, he's like that because Laura literally made him that way. Right. <laughs> Traumatized <laughs> <I> him. Mean, <laughs> could have things have been different if she allowed herself to love him the way that would he, Bobby they needed have, that kind of love. Yeah. I mean, would Bobby have ever gone into drugs if it weren't for Laura? Would he have... Well, we already know I mean, he, he might have. He had a relation, a standing relationship with Leo before they That's got true. into, before him and Laura ever had this moment. So it is 100% possible that he would have still gotten into drugs. But That's true. He might not have gone as down, far down the path. She hadn't been the one pulling the rein. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I definitely think that's probably true as well. Unless he just found another girl like Laura. <laughs> she seems more of a one of a kind. Well, and we find out later that he does kind of find another girl like Laura. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But That's isn't true. crazy, you know, drug addict kind of girl. Yeah. Isn't as much of a masochist. <laughs> All right. So later that night, Bobby calls her and apologizes for declaring his love. <laughs> so sad. He says uh, he meant it, but it was wrong to say it so quickly. And she 
just stays silent, even though she does have words of love for him from her own heart, but she doesn't say them. She says she's stuck inside a part of herself that she hates, and she fights to save the part of herself that everyone thinks she is. Okay. <laughs> Laura, Laura, Laura. Okay, so the next day, she has this like new sense of resolve to join the darkness for the purpose of battle, and she knows that it's almost too late. <laughs> she looks into the mirror, and she doesn't see the eyes of a 15-year-old looking back at her. So I guess she's 15 now. Um, oh. She knows, I, I think she just turned 15 on the last chapter of the last episode. Okay, so, she, yeah, she just, she just doesn't feel like she has any control of her life. <laughs> A couple days later, this is one of those, like, 4.47 a.m. entries. Uh, she can't let herself sleep because she needs to see Bob when he appears. She knows she'll either return with Bob's blood on her hands or she'll never return again because she's still, like, ready for a fight. She knows Bob watches her and knows all she does and thinks. She's full of anger and she wants to scream to the wind and the street and Mother Nature herself. And she thinks that they're all protecting the evil that is Bob. Like, (laughs) even Mother Nature is protecting Bob. So she has to keep her eyes open to see who's in the darkness And her eyes grow accustomed to the dark far easier than he can become accustomed to the light. Yeah. And that just just is evidence of her spiral into darkness. Yeah. Well, she's like ready to fight. She's like done this whole empowerment ritual. She's had sex with Bobby. And she hurt herself having to like be cruel all for the service of trying to, you know, have this big battle with Bob and she's just sitting there waiting for him, waiting for him because she, she won't let herself fall asleep. And this is this also the start of her never sleeping. <laughs> right. Her major insomnia. I wonder why she felt like she wasn't ready. Like if he had shown up, like woken her from her sleep, why she would not be ready at that moment. Why she had to like almost make herself sick. I think it's because... When she's asleep, she doesn't know what is real and what isn't, and she can't, like, see through the fog. Like, I don't know if it has something to do with, I mean, I don't know. You know, was she, like, drugged in some way or something? Or is it, like, just because she's got, like, that sleepwalking thing, maybe she has a tendency to, like, be able to be half awake and half asleep. And, like, if it starts while she's asleep, then she'll never be able to fully wake up and see reality. Well, maybe it is because she because she doesn't know, like, what is real and what isn't real. So if she's awake when he shows up, she knows 100% that this is really happening and isn't a dream of hers that might be happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, all her staying awake and forcing herself to stay awake, I think, kind of leads to her being in, like, a perpetual dream state. Yeah. You know, in a while. We haven't got there yet, though. Okay, so... Then we have like, this is like a month later in September. She writes, enclosed, find my mind and its memory as well as her conscience and guilt. And then she's like, he must not have guilt or a conscience or else why would he keep coming back when he could be caught? She is wondering if she's dreaming him to life and slowly killing herself or if her parents know and are letting him come. And is it possible that they don't care? So that's a pretty um, 
yeah, she's like, I, this is really happening and nobody is stopping it. So there's no way it could be happening if, you know, unless I'm doing this to myself or else someone else is complicit in it. Right. Exactly. Okay. So it's later or the next night in the like 2.20 a.m. Um, she's upset that she is not a threat to Bob. That he knows he can get away with it and she's full of anger that he is stealing the light inside of her. And she knows her innocence was stolen, not allowing her to mature. She gave and gave of herself, emptying her soul, and he must not have come because she's still staying up all night. So I don't know. I don't know if he's come or not. It's hard to tell. It makes it sound like she's been waiting and waiting for him to show up and he hasn't. So oh, she's, yeah. she's like, you know... There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Eventually, I will and, have to give in to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And this is like um, definitely over a month after she first said she couldn't let herself go to sleep. <laughs> Jesus. She's trying to program her response when he for when he does come, you know, so that she can like... Be prepared. Satisfy his cravings until he no longer has them. I don't know. It's not even like the violations that seem to upset her the most, but the fact that she feels that he knows how guilty and horrible and like a liar in her own life she feels and that that is what he really wants to take from her. So it's not like the act itself. It's like he's trying to make her feel like a horrible person. Right. It's the emotional hold he has over her more than the physical hold he has over her. Exactly. Because she now doubts herself. She always yeah. has doubted herself. Like, how is this my fault? How can I make it better? What can I do to change what is happening? Because it's got to be me that's causing it. You know? Right. Yeah. And well, she's also realizing that the lack of sleep is going to start causing her to see hallucinations of Bob everywhere. <laughs> so then we have uh, beginning of October. And she's like, so much has happened. <laughs> um, okay, so this is another big story. It starts with Bobby coming to her window and wanting her to go to a party with Leo. And she says she's tired, but he brought something new to keep her awake. So da, she hides da, da, da. her diary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this is also where she says, Bob's name is a warning, she realizes. Beware of Bob, which we did mention in the last one. <laughs> yes. Okay, so this entry is from like two days later. So I guess this is afterwards and she's recounting what happened. That one, he like interrupted her in the middle of a diary entry or something. Okay, so she's heading out with Bobby and she begins to realize she's like headed to this party with a bunch of men at least 10 years older than her on the outskirts of town. They're, I think they're going to a party at Leo's. But that does not stop her. And... Even though she doesn't get back until 6 p.m. the next day, she manages to alert no suspicion from her parents. And that's one thing I was thinking. And a lot of these kinds of, of stories, like the main fear would be the kids getting caught on their way back in, but never once in all of Twin Peaks history has a kid ever worried about their parents catching them. No. <laughs> and the only because time anyone... Well, Donna got caught... Mm -hmm. When she snuck out of the house and stole her sister's bike, but oh, that's you see true. that window over there? I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. 
Although, but you know, Laura had no siblings, so no one could tell on her. That's true. It's two. <laughs> I think um, she was just had this image of because she talks about how easy school was, and she has obviously from the show has this like aura of being like everyone's like oh she was so responsible like she was so whatever so clearly she was very good at sneaking around and oh yeah kind of perpetuating this idea that she was the opposite of who she was and i just think it's funny yeah she's she's also talks about how her dad like all of a sudden is working all the time and like he's never Mm -hmm. home and so like it's really just her and her mom and her mom seems to be kind of like you know very oblivious to a lot of laura's (laughs) life so well she's just kind of like she's a teenager do what you want (laughs) we live in a town where you can literally walk to the person any person in the town's house so i don't feel like (laughs) it's that big of a deal (laughs) okay so um yeah so she's like okay she's in danger of severe sleep deprivation she says she's lost six and a half pounds since the day she last slept which was definitely two months ago at this point um, the less she sleeps, the less she eats, and she, oh, oh, she left a note with her mom before she left saying she was with Troy. Uh, she talked to Maddie for an hour last week, and Maddie sent her a dress that lifts her breasts. So she changes into it on the way to the party. Uh, Bobby tries to warn her that Leo seems to be a good guy from afar, but then he shakes his head, no. <laughs> He says, don't ever fuck him. He's into some weird shit. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, of course, is intrigued. (laughs) She's like, what, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and when Leo comes up to her, she says she feels it almost immediately. In the middle of the entry, Laura stops to do a couple of lines. And Ronette Pulaski is there. And she's high as well. And Laura knows her and Leo are a regular thing. I don't think I ever realized that. I guess I should have, but <laughs> she has a moment where she starts to think of Ronette sexually. She's not sure if it's because she saw her naked in a play, play where they both had a quick change. I just thought that was a funny little <laughs> bit. <laughs> She's in love with the naked body, just period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she thinks her parents would be appalled. Uh, yeah, I think so. She also thinks that cocaine is the drug that she's been waiting for her whole life. <laughs> This whole party sounds very much like a crazy clown time party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's this girl at the party saying she'll pay $100 if someone can get her off. So Laura, of course, wants to try. And she like whispers to the girl and she knows just what she needs to hear. And the whole rest of the party is watching and it works. And the girl says that she hasn't come in two years and that Laura <laughs> and she wants Laura to come back if she hasn't been scared away. Oh, yeah, and she seemed totally scared, Ter- <laughs> terrified even. Oh, yeah. Actually, she is in love with the attention because, like, a guy comes up to her and is impressed, and the whole party now is in love with Laura. And Leo actually tells her that she made the party, and then Laura's like, I think it's a weird way to meet people. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to agree. Well, at least she's just, you know, she's showing off her skill set. Yeah. <laughs> a good way to to show off for new people (laughs) it's like her first time at one of these giant parties and she's like i have zero inhibitions (laughs) okay so we're uh we jump to december pre-christmas 
She dreamt about Bob. It wasn't nice. In the dream, he saw her at Leo's and he said she won't be able or she yeah, he says she wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for him. And she disagrees and he says, "Then why do you want Leo to tie you up?" And she woke up ashamed and guilty. Bob says he knows everything. Is this where Bob's voice starts to come out? I think I might have not written that down. But um, yeah, I think this is Bob because Cheryl Lee does Bob's voice. He starts talking in the diary at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this might be where. Yeah, basically he's saying that she called him back. He's going to make her love him like she used to. And she knows that she has to do something right and good to like stop this. Um, And she asks who he is and why does he hate her so much? She doesn't trust herself to know if what she's doing is right. (laughs) You know, like this is all part of her empowerment ritual thing to like take back her life. And Bob is still there. And she's like, oh, maybe I just have to be a good person. Just keeps going back and forth. Laura, you tried that. It did not work. (laughs) (laughs) She forbids Bob to come to her ever again in dreams or in reality, and she says she hates him. Okay, so then we are in January of 1987. She's starting to skip a lot more entries at this point, which makes sense. I mean, she's doing a lot of drugs, (laughs) not sleeping. Okay, so this is a weird entry. She says, she starts off saying her parents won't talk to her, Her dad says he saw the pictures from the party. Then Laura realizes that she was dreaming when she wrote that. And she says, too weird. Was Bob here? So it's like she's just in a waking dream now. Yeah. She's even writing entries as she's dreaming. (laughs) Hyper sleep deprivation. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, that can definitely do serious damage. Serious damage. At this point, it's been so long. I mean, I, I assume she's like passing out in school or sleeping during the day sometime perhaps isn't she still doing good in school like because her grades are still yes yeah, later think on she's i know fine there's a point where she says this is the second time i've ever skipped school in my life <laughs> that yeah, and then she makes like a mention about just how easy it is and how like little she cares about it because it's so easy and yeah i mean she becomes home and coming queen for goodness sake people are just like she's the best which is why i always think it's funny when people are like i mean everyone in town should have known there's something wrong everyone is complicit but it's like how how is anyone gonna know this laura is the best at putting on a front you know unless right you really know her i mean bobby obviously knows but (laughs) he doesn't really care anyway we can talk about that later Mm -hmm. okay so february there's no cocaine it's gone Unfortunately, Laura hates the way she feels. She's worried about her mother. She wants to call the police and have them wait there for Bob, but she knows that uh, Bob would know since he's in her mind. (laughs) And she wants to tell everyone and make them believe, and Bob taunts her and says no one will believe her. He's too careful. And Bob is making her write his words even though she doesn't want to. She wants to trade herself for something else, And she says, he will, but may change his mind. Wait, she wants to trade herself for something else. And Bob says that he will accept that, but he may change his mind. 
Okay, and then we have a two-month jump from February to April. She still needs cocaine. I don't know if she's been getting it sporadically over this time or if she's just been out for two months, um, but she says she'll never make it. Now she's starting to talk in Bob. Oh, this is, I guess maybe this is where she starts to talk in Bob's voice, and it's like she's possessed. She shouldn't wish for things. She won't get what she wants, she says. He says he can manipulate her consciousness, I guess. He says, don't you feel like dying? He says, take me back and I won't cause a horrible accident today. And Laura comes back with a big, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) She says she just needs some coke to take back her privacy of thought. And she's going to walk to Leo's. Okay, so like I guess the lack of cocaine is really making Bob's voice really come out in her head. Mm-hmm. She's kind of she losing control. control yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she, I guess, walks to Leo's, and he had female company and couldn't come to the door. And then, no, he's coming. So she must have brought her diary. It's just like writing it I know. outside of Leo's house. <laughs> There's so coming. many. <laughs> There's so many times when she does that. She's like, I'll write back to you in just a minute. And I'm like, where? Is this like where in your you? purse? <laughs> Like, how is this a secret diary? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody looked I'm, over and was like, what are you doing, Laura? You're writing in a diary? You're always writing in your diary. <laughs> <laughs> I assumed that because she did so much coke and that she was awake for 20 years that she just remembered everything because she couldn't, she was like processing everything. All <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, no, because these are all from the same, these are all entries from the same day. There's three in a row that are all from the same day. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, he can't come to the door. No, he's coming. <laughs> I hope he'll be fair about the money. <laughs> okay, so she got some coke from him. This is the next entry. It's the same day afterwards. It was good. Bob goes away when she takes it. And she starts to wonder if he's even real. And yeah, so it's getting really repetitive in this part. She thinks she's becoming what he wants her to be. Uh, she says, can't you see you're killing me, Bob? Is that the point? Yeah, she knows. Uh, you know, he told her that she wasn't a child of God. And I, I guess Leo needs money or sex. But she has, I don't know. She's so confusing in this part. She's all cooked <laughs> up and I have no idea what she's talking about. Um, she has to have it. She's all right now. She only thinks about cocaine these days. And she can't go to sleep. It's too dangerous. And she says, you win, Bob. Now I'm what you said I was. He had no invitation, no right to come into her life. Laura tells Bob in her mind that she believes he's a cheat. Okay, sorry if that was a crazy um, <laughs> recap entry, but I was like, I don't even know. I think I'm co- on cocaine just reading this. Okay. <laughs> no, that's that's what I meant earlier. Because like, so at points, she kind of like loses, like it's almost like, literal word vomit onto the thing where she's like writing her thoughts as they come in and they're racing and so it just gets repetitive and a little confusing at points right which yeah. is authentic so <laughs> which we can see by my recapping <laughs> well <laughs> and she's going through some major like you know she's coked up and she's not sleeping and she knows that he's real but she's also like having him talk in her head so she's like mm-hmm. is he real am i making him up this whole time should I be taking more cocaine to suppress his craziness that's within me? Am I the yeah. one doing this? Really, you should just sleep, Laura. Just sleep. <laughs> Take a nap. 
find a safe place and sleep for like a month. <laughs> or like go to Bobby's house and be like, I'm going to sleep in your bed. Have your dad watch my door. He's a freaking general. Like no one's going to come in to the house while you're there. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. Okay. So now we're to June. This is a two month jump. She says it's late and she doesn't want to know about herself from anyone. Too many lies have entered her like bullets. She's now entered the world of drugs and sex for power and the ability to know right from wrong has left her or been taken. She can't have good things. She doesn't know the road to responsibility like she used to. And she set Troy free. She sent him away. She says she doesn't deserve him, nor does he deserve to live in a small square box. She wants him to be free, not owned. And she hopes he understands why she made him leave. She's afraid that anything she loves runs the risk of being taken by Bob. She's crazy. That's the craziest (laughs) thing of all time. Like, you don't just (laughs) let a horse that is being, like, she comes and brushes him and she loves on him and they ride every now and again. But, like, he lives at the stables. He's fed every day by them. He's probably walked. He's probably brought out to pasture every now and again. Like, he's not just living his life in a box. And she was like, oh, Troy. You must go and be free. <laughs> yeah. You done I think lost she's it, just, girl. She just thinks anything she loves is going to be taken away from her. So she's like, no, I have to let you go before you can be taken from me. Even though there's no proof at all that anything bad had ever happened to this horse. And that he was just fine living his horsey life. I think he probably would have been. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's ironic because essentially like once things play out, from Laura's actions eventually like it seems like this was all like Bob's master plan quote unquote because she yeah. ends up you know all these things she does eventually come back to like bite her on the ass yeah and this is kind of where I feel like we're doing a little bit of the pylon depress- depressing moments it's like mm-hmm. do we really need to pile one on top of the others like I get it it's, it's very um, teenage but it's just thinking. like <laughs> yeah <laughs> As the depressed teenager, I was like, oh, I remember this. This is why I don't want to read this. <laughs> it's so yeah, boring. Yeah, that's true. It's a lot easier now with a, you know, a lot more perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then we jump all the way to November. Uh, she says that... Oh, God. Okay. <sighs> okay, 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 okay. This is, a, this is the craziest story. Okay. Oh. I was like... Because it starts off like, I hope God reads this. It's the end of her life. Trust is gone. Um, <sighs> Bobby gets her from the stables, which is so weird. It's like she's just still going back to the stables like four months later, just laying in Troy's stall. Or did is this like the next? This isn't the next day, right? No, this is. We, we jumped from June where she lets Troy out to November. Jesus. Oh, yeah, I honestly, after she let Troy go, completely forgot that he existed. Because... <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm now. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, it's been wow. It's been almost half a year. It's been like five months. Crazy. I know. And uh, yeah, and Bobby and Donna go collect Laura from the stables, where she's like, I guess, just like curled up in Troy's stall. I can only assume. She's like, I can't stay in one place too long, she's telling them. And they're, like, humoring her. And 
It makes her feel dumb. And all she wants is cocaine or the money to get cocaine. <laughs> she says temporary happiness is preferable to letting people know how close she is to self-destruction. And, okay, so here's the story. So her, Leo, and Bobby, they're driving down this dark, unmarked road. Uh, Bobby has a gun. There's a whole... They talk about how low town where they're going has had a power outage that no one has acknowledged. I think it's been going on for a while. Wow. Very weird. A little bit of Twin Peaks politics, I guess, in the background. <laughs> well, and it's a super small town, like super small. <laughs> yeah. You would think that you can get everyone's power on, but... Mm. Yeah. Okay, so Laura has like a gut instinct. This is a bad idea, but she doesn't really she can't really stop it and i don't think she really wants to Mm-mm. um when they get there someone grabs laura and starts to strangle her and she's like okay i'm dying right here um but then <laughs> she passes out and wakes up in a drug dealer's house and you know like these the- things happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i guess they were headed to the drug dealer's house anyway right so but she just she goes from like being strangled in the car to being in this house and when she wakes up the Drug dealer, I guess the main one, pulls a gun on her when she asks who strangled her. <laughs> and he puts <laughs> this gun in her face and she accepts his apology and thanks him for not shooting her. <laughs> well, you don't really says, wake up with an attitude in a drug dealer's house after you were just strangled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she says she needs fresh air and she goes to the car. One of the guards asks her if she ever thinks about dying. Great conversation, buddy. Um, Actually, (laughs) I've had this conversation myself several times. (laughs) Yeah, right? We've been privy to all of them. He tells her to step out of the truck. She's very scared. But I think like she just, that passes. She waits for Bobby and Leo for like 40 minutes. They finally come out laughing with the bullies. And Laura has stolen a kilo of cocaine from them somehow. Right? That's why I was like, wait, 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 what? Did I miss something? Did she somehow shove it between her legs? I mean, well, I was like, I didn't Google it, but I'm not very, I'm not familiar with Coke servings, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know what a kilo of Coke is. I, I imagine a me, giant barrel. Like that's a what brick. I was thinking. I was <laughs> yeah. like, where did she put this? Because she was wearing a skin tight dress. I'm like, where did she hide this? She like pretend it was like a bumpet in her hair. I don't understand. <laughs> I know, because she just like wakes up from having passed out and then walks outside somehow with a kilo of coke on her. And doesn't she get searched? She does yeah. by that guard. He searches <laughs> yeah. her and finds nothing. But okay, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but there is like a whole phenomenon of people, of women who go into places like Sam's Club and will steal bulk items underneath their skirts by just putting them up into their hoo-ha. I'm talking like... <laughs> giant Mm -hmm. packs of toilet paper and you'd never know the way they walk out of there that anything was between their legs but yet like huge amounts of stuff it's insane so it's got to be something along those lines definitely has that skill (laughs) (laughs) okay so so the guys are coming out guns start going off the guys get in the truck they tear off in the truck leo's in the back and there's another guy who jumped in the back with him Bobby, like, says a warning and then shoots the guy in the chest. They drive away back to Leo's. 
well, all the guys kind of start shooting at each other because they're all thinking they all stole the Coke and none of them realize that Laura has done it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't understand, though, is that she steals it from the time they strangle her to the time they leave. Mm-hmm. And they make the whole time make it seem like it had been stolen. And they, like, how did how'd you even know it was stolen? Why would you even suspect this girl that was passed out on your floor is be Like, how did you not know that this was... It's just well, so bizarre. We just have to remember that Laura is the narrator of this story. And she's not really caring to give us all the details because it's not really yeah. about us, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> this is for my <laughs> eyes only. <laughs> I guess she'll always know how she stole that cocaine. <laughs> or not, because she likes to embellish every single thing that's ever happened in her life, in her mind, continuously. That's true. That is true. That is true. But she usually tells the diary the truth. Right. Um, okay, so they get back to Leo's, and Laura shows them the coke she stole. Um, they seem somewhat proud of her, and they start a coke binge. Laura decides she has to drive to the store. This is the worst part. I know. In the truck, there's a Flesh World magazine that she gets distracted by, and then she hits something. And a little girl runs out of the house across the street, and Laura remembers her cat, Jupiter, and she gets out and realizes she hit the girl's cat and starts to cry. And the way I imagine it, firewalk with me, uncontrollable type tears. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But here's my question. You'll, you'll see it someday, Christian. <laughs> what what the time acting? What time of day is this? Because I'm imagining it's like 10:45 at night. And why is there a child awake at that hour, knowing her cat has just been run over? Like you would think, if it was the middle of the night, cat hitting, that she could have just, you know, nobody would have even known. Well, she was going to the store, so maybe it was like eight o'clock. But, so they did this whole cocaine thing at like 6 p.m. Hey, that's probably, well, it's the winter time, so it probably gets dark really early in or, uh, Washington. Washington. So. It also could be that, you know, something like maybe the cat sleeps with the girl and she didn't know, like it was, it, she felt it get up and she was like looking for her cat or something. True. But it's also like, since it's from Laura's perspective, Laura doesn't know anything about this girl, so I guess we're not supposed to know anything about her either. Yeah, and I doubt Laura knows what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> For all of them, you know, she thinks it's like the year 2000. Yeah. So, okay. Laura is like, I've become the person I hated years ago who killed my cat. She tells the girl she'll buy her a new cat if she wants. And the little girl starts to try to comfort Laura. And Laura is ashamed. The girl wants her to stop crying. She says she didn't mean to make her feel so bad. And Laura tells her about Jupiter. And the girl wants to know if she forgave the person who hit her cat. And she introduces herself as Danielle. They hug. And Laura says it takes a special person to forgive so easily. And the girl is like, I think you're nice and I don't blame you for the cat. (laughs) And the the girl makes her feel like everything could work out for a second at least. So she turns around and takes the truck back and decides that she's just going to walk home and spend some time with her mother. The best laid plans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next entry is from the next day. All right, so I guess she wrote she, about this in her diary. She and was goes like, back "I'm gonna to go." Leo's, writes this entry before she goes back inside with the guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we get the account of what happens after that the next day. Okay, so this is an even longer story. I need to take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so Leo hasn't... Okay, Leo did not want her to leave when she came back. And he had somehow convinced Bobby to help him keep her. It and makes you knows- wonder what he has on Bobby. Like, how is how did their friendship start, these two? Yeah. Like, how did they even I get think- involved? I don't, I'm not sure, but I think Leo maybe was on the football team. So maybe he's like some sort of a mentor to Bobby. I don't know. Or maybe yeah. Bobby looked up to him. I don't know. Okay. Well, and you know what? It's Twin Peaks. <laughs> it's a small <laughs> town. <laughs> it's a dark little town where everyone's friends with all the worst people. <laughs> okay. So Laura knows that they're not going to care about the cat. <laughs> and Laura's very tired. So she's thinking about death and dead bodies and what will happen to her when she dies. And she's like, is roadkill more than it seems? <laughs> she wants to go home and pretend to be a little girl, but she knows she's not going to because honestly, it's not safe in her house. We've already established that. <laughs> she says her words these days have been lies. I'm just going to skip a little bit of Laura just, you know, saying the same stuff over again. Okay, so... <laughs> Here's the meat of the story. Leo <laughs> is like, no, I want you to do something for me because I, I don't know why. Because you put us in danger because you stole this cocaine you owe me, I think is his justification. I'd be like, bitch, you brought me to the place. I was just doing us a favor. <laughs> exactly. We got away with it, didn't we? So it starts off, Leo wants her to drink something. And I was like, is it like a roofie or something? Is it roofied or is it just like alcohol? I don't know. But she agrees and lets him take her wrists and he's like, go get Bobby a drink. And she does. And Bobby and Leo are arguing and it's bothering her. She's definitely out of it at this point. She tells them to shut up, that she'll do whatever, but she doesn't want them to yell anymore. And Laura says that she knows that if Leo hits her, it would be part of the agreement. So she's just resigned to whatever is going to happen. Bobby's like, I don't want to be a part of this. And she's mad at him because of he misses the sweet Laura. But she decides she wants to go out into the woods. She doesn't like the light anymore. And it definitely sounds like she's on drugs. Yeah. Because it's just a lot of like her in her head of like, I'm mad at Bobby for making me feel bad about wanting to do this thing. And... But, like, she can't stand them them arguing, you know. Sometimes, like, just hearing loud voices gets under people's skin when they're, like, on yeah. drugs. Or the she, the light is bothering her and she wants to get into the darkness. Like, you know, all those things sound like, I'm totally out yeah. of it, man. I need to go, like, do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Leo wants to know if she likes to be scared. And she's like, I want to feel really hot. So he blindfolds her and there's a whole darkness thing and he promises to guide her through it. And Laura's like feeling the trees and the wind and Leo's like not letting her talk, but says that he'll know, he will know what she wants to say. Yeah, that's just stupid. Anyway. So he has a secret that in this particular spot, he hears voices and he doesn't know 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> His secret is that in this spot, here he hears voices he doesn't know, and he can feel them around her. Hmm. And even right now, he can hear them faintly. And Laura is actually kind of scared, <laughs> despite her determination. Uh, she gets... I just thought that was interesting, the whole voices. It's very Twin Peaks and makes you wonder about Leo. She's basically, he sits her in this chair and they play this music and she's blindfolded and there's like three women and four men and she says like all sorts of fantasies are performed on her. Can you hear that? (laughs) Yes. Sounds like popcorn. Except animals. No animals. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In the fantasies. They like wait in line for her. And she actually starts to find kind of this peace and all these people losing themselves in the woods and letting go of their real lives. And she has like this heightened sensitivity. And she says when she can see again, she's looking at her own house because Leo is dropping her off. And he says that his wife is coming home soon. And if she wanted to do this again, they're going to have to plan very carefully. So he had he'd been married to Shelly this whole time. Yeah. And yet she's we've never even heard of her <laughs> yeah. for like months, apparently. <laughs> well, I don't know if he was married to her when they first went to that party like a year ago. But Laura doesn't really concern herself with other people's lives. True. <laughs> no. And Leah doesn't really care about Shelly. Right. Well. He only cares about controlling her. He, yeah. He cares about her as a possession for sure. Right. Exactly. So when he drops her off, he gives her this like backpack full of um, I'm guessing cocaine. <laughs> oh, and when she's walking up the stairs to her room, she's having like this weird daydream slash waking dream that her mom comes out and she tells her about the orgy and her mom calls all her friends to tell them in the very embarrassing way from when she was a kid. I won't do that to Allie, I promise. <laughs> uh, but when she gets to her room, there is a man's shoe behind the door and it's Bob. And he yanks her into the room. She tells him to stay away from her and this house. And she says she'll make him sorry. And he says he can't be sorry. He has no conscience and no guilt. Con- I keep saying it wrong. Conscience, not conscious. <laughs> conscience. <laughs> he won't be impressed by her. She tells him to get out over and over. And nothing she does has any effect on him and he says that he's the best thing in her life she denies it and he says he's better than anything good in her life and that he controls her he says your life is shit you're not even 16 yet you're nothing god she's not even 16 Uh, he says he teaches her and she owes him everything see you in the dark laura palmer it is kind of like a chicken in the egg moment there like did she become sexual because of bob or did she become sexual to discourage bob like it's i think it's both i mean well and because she's trying to take control of her own you know self <laughs> right and dark her own sexuality. darkness her own dark yeah but like you know this is kind of like a weird waking dream thing after this big huge crazy drugged up long ass (laughs) series of events and she's like seeing him hearing him but he's not really there i don't think not in this scene at least she and she's like i just i don't even have any power over this situation anymore 
And she declares at this moment that he has no more power, like very labyrinth. You have no power over me. Right. Um, <laughs> but her PS is to watch the windows. So, right. Well, she's always watched those windows. Yeah. Okay. So a month later, December 15th, she's been working. She made a deal with the horns that she's going to tutor Johnny and they're paying her. She really likes Johnny because he loves her and he doesn't want anything from her except for her to read to him. I actually really love Laura and Johnny's relationship in this book and it makes me sad that we don't get more Johnny in the show. Yeah. Yeah. So they play with his bow and arrow and she's like paints this whole picture of his excitement as he hits the target. She says that she, though, she has to do a lot of coke when she's around Johnny because she doesn't want to lose her patience with him. Because she can, because she's, she can become really cruel now. Um, she only did it once, but she felt really horrible and apologized. And she wants to tell the diary about her and Bobby's innocent meetings lately. And oh. I guess she, I think she tells them the next day. <laughs> we'll find out. Because um, <laughs> the next day, Ma, uh, Laura and her mom have like a four-hour talk, which seems really nice. Ben Horn and her dad have been working on some distracting thing. And Laura wonders if her mom has ever felt what she's feeling. She wants to know if her mom and dad know about Bob. I don't think she's talking to her mom about that, but she's wondering it to herself. She's like examining the wall that Bob has to climb up and wonders why he's never fallen. Yeah, and then she goes on to talk about Bobby and how they've been seeing each other like real high schoolers. Donna's now with Mike. And Laura feels like a normal normal girl, but she has to get high to get through it. <laughs> and now when Laura is describing this, she's she's starting to seem angrier in all of her entries. She's like, she resents Donna. She resents that she can eat and be normal. Yeah, bitterness is really the most evident emotion in how she's talking about Donna. And she thinks Mike is an asshole, which he is. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> the reason she's seeing Bobby like this is basically payment because he agreed to start selling coke for Leo and she agreed to start seeing him like a normal person like a normal high schooler if he did oh. so that's a great arrangement win-win <laughs> uh, really <laughs> for her um, <laughs> she's still going out for orgies at Leo's and you know that's where she feels like she belongs like with she belongs with sleazy men who are actually crying babies. <laughs> well, she has been picturing these moments in her head since she was literally twelve. That's true. So, yeah. It, uh, go ahead. No, it's okay. I, I, we'll talk about it at the end <laughs> about that whole orgy scene and the difference between whether these people are like the spirits of the forest that we all kind of know exist, or are they real people who all had these same fantasies as Laura. And the whole time she's thinking like, I'm all by myself in this. I'm the only person who thinks this way. I am evil for thinking this way. Here is this whole part of her own community that clearly thinks this way and loves it. And it's yeah. not, and it's a, it's honestly, it's a safe way. It is. It's kind of like in the weirdest way, it's a kind of her and Leo and Jacques end up kind of being like a supportive community for each other. It's almost like, you know, if we could just normalize, you know, fetishes and sexaholics, you know, sexual 
proclivities, then maybe people wouldn't feel like they had to, you know, I mean, maybe part of it is being in the dark in the woods and being secret, but like, it is true. Like Laura's sitting here wondering, am I the only person who feels this way? But no, half the town feels this way. <laughs> As evident by the um, initials that come later on. So go ahead. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we'll get to that. I think that's in the next episode. I think it is too. <laughs> yeah, we're almost done actually. Okay, so yeah, so she's talking about these orgies and she's talking about how she like, she basically teases these guys and they cry and she tells them what to do and they like it. And she's like developing this mommy routine with all these men. And that's how she kind of controls them. She thinks that the men are all nice to her though. And if she needed any help, they would be there for her. Although she never asked them for that help, <laughs> which <laughs> she does need. But she doesn't I, know. She says she's been wrong before. <laughs> so I don't think they uh, could provide her that help. <laughs> No. that she needs <laughs> definitely she not needs serious counseling no um some other stuff <laughs> yeah i i think these like weird little like instances are like glimpses into like almost like factors that remind us that she's still like a teenager because like the naivety to believe that these people who she has orgies with who are all adult drug addicts and that they would just show up for any problem that she has as a 16-year-old girl who they're not supposed to be interacting with. So That's I kind true. of, like, I, I appreciate these, like, little, like, pullbacks into, like, oh, she's this, like, reminders that she's just a kid. She's, yeah. like, 16 years old. She's, you know. And that these situations, I think it's very easy for people to be, like, to kind of, like, See, the way they're described by Laura because she thinks they're okay but they're like they're not necessarily okay because she's underage right no exactly well, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> definitely she is 100% a child in adult <laughs> situations right so, and that's like sure. I, I like these little like subtle moments to bring us back to that it's almost like Laura is like subconsciously acknowledging like you know what's really going on yeah yeah Okay, the only other thing from that chapter, she's really mad when Bobby tells her that Mike is going to help him sell drugs, and she draws the line at Donna ever finding out. And we find out that they do their drug exchanges with a buried football. <laughs> oh, and she basically figures out that Jacques is the one who lives, or he lives in a cabin in the woods, and that's where the orgies are taking place. He has Waldo, right. a bird, and he works at a casino. All stuff we already know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, ding, ding, ding. He's one of the baby men. <laughs> yes. As she calls them. <laughs> okay, so last chapter of this section. It's almost Christmas. She wants to get a job making real money. And her mother is starting to worry about the fact that she's not eating and is getting really skinny. And Laura says she's happy to have no more fat in the way of... 15-year-old girls everywhere. Up, <laughs> oh, she's 16 um, Or now. she's 16. Yeah, she's 16. <laughs> Six, even more so. Um, uh, she got another copy of Flesh World, and she's now used to creating a show for others to look at. So inside her head, she goes into this dream and imagines audience. She, whenever she, I think whenever she does all of the sex stuff, she likes to imagine like an audience because that makes her feel like it's okay. And mm -hmm. 
uh, in her fantasies, she'll like bring an audience member on the stage with her and, and she, oh yeah, she's basically, she likes to try to convince the audience in her fantasies to fall in love with the person on stage like she does. You know, rem- for all of her horribleness, she has a lot of love in her heart. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of that scene in an interview with the vampire where they're in Paris and they bring up just like a victim onto the stage and all the vampires just start eating her while all the other <laughs> vampires sit in the audience and watch it happen. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's what it reminds me of, her fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so basically, you know, Flesh World is like this magazine where you send your fantasies and Leo and Jacques convince her to write down her own and try to get it printed Okay, so there's only a little bit more. Yeah, they're trying to convince her to send in her fantasies. And she's talking about the pictures in there. And she's like, they're too dirty even for me. A lot of them are like women being captured. And she doesn't like that because it reminds her of Bob. She says she doesn't like fear or lies or yelling. She likes mysterious darkness, not the darkness of hell or nightmares or dying. I agree, Laura. And... (laughs) (laughs) She says that she has to buy Christmas presents tomorrow. And the last thing is, it's probably bad to wish for Coke for Christmas. <laughs> that is not true. I have wished for sim- similar things. Never Coke, because I've never done Coke. <laughs> but I have definitely wished for similar things for Christmas before. <laughs> maybe, as a, maybe as a 16-year-old, it's not the best gift to buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's like Lauren needs it to survive. I doubt yeah, she'll get I it from her mother point. is all I'm saying. No. <laughs> no, but I bet she gets some. Oh, I'm sure she does. Uh, she's got plenty of outlets for it. <laughs> uh, so that's the end of part two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My throat hurts. <laughs> it's a lot of information. all that talking. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, part three is like so many more chapters and they're just like all tiny short entries and it will move a lot faster, I'm sure. Yeah, because this is really just Laura at her most sleep deprived, most coke addled, most, well, I'm maybe not most depressed because that might still be to come, but. Um, <laughs> just the most, most like out of it. Manic. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word. <sighs> Well, should we just go ahead and do the deep dive then? Sure. Sure. Okay, so I also did mine on Jennifer Lynch. And again, I got this from an interview called from the book Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks by Courtney Stallings. What was that? That was my alarm system. If the front or the back door opens, it announces it to everyone. I was like, I just heard a person's <laughs> voice on this, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's haunted. Someone's breaking in. <laughs> it's Laura. <laughs> Probably. Let's hope so. Not Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so I would prefer Laura. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So this is from an interview for that book. Yeah. David Lynch asked his daughter, Jennifer, do you remember something you said to me when I picked you up from school one day? And she instantly knew that he was referring to her wish to read another girl's diary. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So, bas- 
<laughs> Basically, when she was little, she told her dad, I want to read another girl's diary because she wanted to know if other girls were curious about the same things as her. Okay, so she was conscious of the fact that it had to be written in the voice of a diary. And when you write a diary, you kind of write it in a certain way that is meant for someone to read one day. You know, like it's kind of, the, even if it's a secret diary, the point, you don't just write it all down for nothing. You know, you're kind of right. thinking, when I die, maybe someone will read this or whatever. <laughs> so you kind of have to keep a certain tone. But you're also like, there's also that risk that someone's going to find it. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Okay, so Jennifer Lynch says she really enjoyed the process because Laura wasn't going through the same things that Jennifer went through, yet she could understand them because she'd had her own versions of those things, you know, betrayals, inappropriate moments, sexual awakenings. She actually remembers when she found out that Anne Frank's diary had been edited of all the sexuality and stuff, and she was really amazed by that. <laughs> Which oh, is really interesting. I said I never even knew that. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're trapped with a boy for a long time in a tiny, <laughs> tiny space. Right. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of things that you could write in your diary. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't have Coke, so, you know, she yeah. had to rely on other things to keep her entertained. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She. So, yeah, it was obviously she knew it's like a sad story. Laura's story is mostly filled with abuse, but she tried to give her moments of real young love. <sighs> real sad young love. Seriously. <laughs> and Laura's wisdom, for the most part, is born out of trauma, but she still is very compassionate from the start. So the way Laura tends to handle her trauma tends to be more self-abusive than outwardly abusive. So she was very conscious of that when she's writing it. She says, I meet a lot of people who are victims of assault in childhoods that are either were directly similar or just similar enough for it, to all, for it all to matter to them and for them to feel okay. I could not be more thrilled with the chance I took with, will they understand why her voice is this at the beginning? Will they understand the leap from this to this? Will they follow me here? I was just trying to be as forthright as I could as Laura. And it seems to have, it seems to have been a good thing to do. And I'm so grateful that something that was incredibly potent for me was as potent for other people. So that's just a little bit from her interview specifically about the secret diary of laura palmer wow again it, i didn't want to do too much because yeah. lots to cover in this episode and how perfect that Cheryl lee read it with the exact dynamics that she wanted the same intonation she wanted people to be able to hear from her work Cheryl lee just was like since i am laura yeah. i can feel yeah. the perfect <laughs> perfect intonations and you're like yes oh yeah you did you did a fantastic job where yes. is the audiobook emmy <laughs> I think Cheryl Lee should just get like a lifetime achievement award for embodying a character so perfectly over time and it's many incarnations <laughs> seriously we could make her her own award and send it to her <laughs> somebody embroider something <laughs> I've wanted to seriously do a cross stitch of the hands and then have mm. it and then say meanwhile under it and give them to like you that. and Aaron and Joey. I've wanted to like <laughs> make it a million of them and give them to everybody. But I don't know how do to that do that. Before, so I bet there might be like an actual pattern or something out there. 
All right. Well, do we have any uh, final thoughts on this section that we want to talk about? I'm not going to say do we have favorite parts because there is nothing good in that section. <laughs> no. A lot of bad stuff. Is there? <laughs> did anything good happen? Uh, I mean, she started her fun orgies. I was going to say for her, that was a huge great moment in her life. But it also immediately brought on the physical incarnation in her mind of Bob chastising her for such things. Yeah. Like the guilt she felt for it. I would say final thoughts on this section as Laura is, it's like she didn't sleep in two years. (laughs) And she's constantly doing cocaine. I, um... I don't know. The, I had, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned at the beginning how, like, this part was, like, to me, I guess, because it's written so authentically in the mind of Laura, it's the most just kind of, like, hard to get through because it's just really repetitive and it, it, nothing really exciting necessarily happens other than the shootout um, right. and, like, the cat moment. But to me, this part really just kind of like cemented in my mind i don't know if it's maybe more of like a late 80s early 90s thing or if it's just that town but it doesn't seem like anyone's paying any attention to laura because if she's not sleeping for months she's doing let's say you know pounds of coke at this point and it, it there's no way that she other than losing a little bit of weight that it has not had some sort of physical toll on her and maybe like her mannerisms changing, that for no one to notice it seems so like yeah. no one's paying attention to her at all. Yeah, in a real I way. guess. I mean, her parents definitely seem to be. I mean, they seem somewhat concerned, but like basically unaware of what's going on with her. Um, you know, Bobby's a part of the scene. Donna is kind of right. like wrapped up. I mean, they've been drifting apart. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like you can really blame Donna. Right. No, I mean she's like she, um, she. Donna is like the most like the at least in Twin Peaks like the biggest embodiment of a true teenager. Like she's so naive and just kind of like a little pure hearted and yeah. So I wouldn't yeah. expect her to really catch on. I would think maybe her parents would. I mean, not her parents. Her teachers might notice, but she seems to still be doing well in school. Right. Which, yeah. I think it's I just. just don't, see how she can still be existing (laughs) right i think it's just the limitations of the thinking of maybe that era where it's like she's doing well in school so everything must be fine she's you know she's not dead she's not hurt technically like as far as we all know her parents we know leland we know sarah they're not bad parents (laughs) right i I mean teenage girls are mysterious to most people who Mm -hmm. haven't been teenage girls before and even if you have you know that it's like a time when you're going through a whole lot of stuff and you're not telling anybody about any of it and you're just full of "Eh," anytime people try to you know give you some advice so i can see people trying to steer clear of teenage girls you know as a general practice yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) I I think I like, let's like get too deep with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I can, and we get kind of get that in the next part. Like Leland starts kind of like you could we get like little instances of him kind of noticing that Laura's not as checked in with them. Yeah, there. I I think it just maybe stirs like thoughts of like what is her like what has her mom been through that she really doesn't seem to be checking in with Laura that much at all, as far as yeah. we can see. So that's what Laura's telling us. 
And I feel like if she was, Laura would be like, my mom is annoying. So The parents of this town have complete trust in their children at all times. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Yes. They don't realize there's an orgy ring, like, throughout the town. So Just you have down to the think, road. with the number of um, people involved in this orgy ring, you know, half the town must already know. Well, yeah. Right. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't know. I think that this this section might be my favorite section just because every story was like a real story that I could picture 100% every mm-hmm. single detail in my mind. And I was like there with her living these moments. I felt yes. like maybe in this next section, she gets a little more manic. And, you know, some of the stuff she even says doesn't even make full sense. And you're like, I don't know where to put this in my mind. But with this, it was like she was just growing into it, and all the stories are very clear, although they might not be 100% factual because drugs and her uh, want to embellish every situation. But, you know, I just I felt like I was there with Laura, like, through this whole entire section. I really liked it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's got a lot of substance to it. Mm-hmm. It's just um, a little bit heavier i mean i don't know is it heavier it's it's just got in a different way (laughs) but um yeah only one more section to go so let's go ahead and do recommendations i go i'll go first and i'm pretty sure you guys have probably already covered this but i'm gonna say it again wandavision is the best and (laughs) everyone needs to be watching it it's so good we will watch it and then we'll watch like everyone's what do you think about it and then we'll watch it again and try to like pull up new things (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah it's become an obsession in our house (laughs) oh yeah it's like water after a desert of no marvel (laughs) (laughs) i just love them and they're the, the way that i might even just go ahead and recommend disney plus altogether because like every new content that comes out with just seamlessly puts everything together in a way that you couldn't even do it in your mind. Like these people are so smart. They, may, I don't know. It's just good. It's good Very stuff. Meticulous. Yes, one division is amazing. We we did recommend it during a Sanditon episode, but it's good to have one during, a, you know, a David Lynch episode. Yeah, and and it's become so different than when it started that essentially it's like a new show at this point. Every so episode is like a new show. <laughs> I love it. It's like, how is it going to be this time? <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm so excited to watch it to, in two days. <laughs> I know. Uh, Why isn't it Friday? <laughs> <laughs> it's the highlight of the week. <laughs> well, I can give my recommendation. Sure. At the beginning of quarantine, I was watching a lot of Bon Appetit videos until mm-hmm. Bon Appetit exploded or imploded <laughs> or whatever happened with them. They... <laughs> controversy yes and i was like well i'm glad i once again discovered something two seconds before it ended (laughs) um but i have noticed recently that one of my favorites from that channel claire saffitz has come out with a book called dessert person and so she's been doing her own youtube series 
uh, doing just like recipes from that book and I love it. I'm so glad to see her back and watch her YouTube videos, even though she cooks stuff that I'm like, I would never even attempt it because it's way too many steps and looks way too hard. <laughs> well, even though you're... I would love to eat every single bite. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, uh, I've, we've been watching her videos too. I've followed a bunch of like, of the Bon Appetit, like Sola and uh, Claire and just, uh, I think Babish. Uh, was a member of them for a while too who's really big on youtube now but you're gonna laugh because i got her book yesterday <laughs> make me something <laughs> i and i'm this weekend because i've taken such a long almost like sabbatical from break from baking because just because of school was getting a lot of it was really time consuming and i was like uh -huh. i need to stop eating ten thousand calories a day um <laughs> but i'm just getting back into it and I've already picked out a recipe from her book, and it's gonna be really good. I'm really excited. So pre prepare to have plenty of things I'll bring you. Oh because <laughs> everything in that book is so good. <laughs> I can't wait. Please, let me taste test every single thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making, I think it's like the, her almond poppy seed loaf thing. That oh, that sounds so about. good. <laughs> I love almond. I'm really And excited, poppy so. seeds together. Yeah. And it, <laughs> Oh, and it's like her. It's like a big old bun cake, and you soak it. It's really good. Oh, I'll yeah. give my uh, <laughs> Maya will give her a review of it next week or the week after. I'm sure it'll be glowing. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. Uh, all right. So, so what's your my, recommendation? My recommendation is going to be a podcast, and it's um, on the Luminary app. Uh, it's a Luminary exclusive. It's called Here to Slay. And it's like H-E-A-R. <laughs> and it's hosted by Roxanne Gay and Dr. Tressie McMillan Cottom. And it's just a black feminist podcast and hosted by these two like scholarly people who both have books out. I think Roxanne has a, a couple books out. And I think Tressie, I don't know if it was super recent, but both like critically acclaimed, very intelligent people who kind of just say their things without any filter and it just it very reaffirming to hear the things that they talk about and just be so like critically honest about aspects of society and the guests they have on are always so smart and it just it almost gives like the if you've ever been a person who has been into religion it just has that evocation of being in like in the sermon where it just feels great it feels very warm and so I, and it's one of the few podcasts where I'm always checking and be like, let me make sure I didn't release a bonus episode because I'm <laughs> always checking back. It's just so good. And it's just one of the things I look forward to almost every single week. Oh, that's cool. I'll definitely check that one. What is it on again? Uh, Luminary. Oh, Luminary. I don't think I've ever heard of that one. They've got a couple good ones. There's That one's my favorite on the app, but they've also got one I listen to called The C Word. Um, and it's hosted by Lena Dunham and... I can't remember her friend's name, um, but it's about like a dissection of women who've been deemed crazy by society and like kind of looking into their lives, like who they really were and what's going on <laughs> behind the scenes. Oh yeah, that's always interesting because they're never crazy. Spoiler no. alert. <laughs> <laughs> Their most recent was a two-parter on Brittany Murphy and it was really sad because I love Brittany Murphy, but it was really interesting yeah. to hear. <laughs> okay, we'll have to check those out. Mm -hmm. And if you guys would like to contact us, we would love to hear from you about your thoughts on The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. 
Yes, you could email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you could leave a voicemail on our website one minute long, uh, mannersandmadness.com. <laughs> one minute. <laughs> <sighs> and we hope that you will. And if you would be so kind, we would love it if you would give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. <laughs> Five stars, if you don't mind. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, I guess, that's going to be it for today. Next week, we will be back with the final section of The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Yes, things will get real interesting. <laughs> yes, we'll see her final days. Ugh. All right. <laughs> well, here are her final days, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not see it yet. We'll talk about it. Okay, well, you guys have a good night. Yes, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.